Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. A shooting in Ybor City the weekend before Halloween killed two people, 14-year-old Elijah Wilson and 20-year-old Harrison Boonstobble, and injured 16 others. So far, two people, a 22-year-old man and a 14-year-old boy, have each been charged with second-degree murder. Police say the investigation is ongoing. The charges against the 14-year-old highlight a grim fact in Florida. More kids are getting their hands on guns. In a series airing on WUSF this week, Growing Up With Guns, Health News Florida's Stephanie Colombini examines the consequences from deaths and injuries to children to the trauma of losing a loved one to a shooting or being a witness to gun violence. The series also highlights the work being done to push back against gun violence, help kids arrested on gun charges, turn their lives around and support victims of gun violence. Today, we're going to spend some time talking with Stephanie about what her reporting reveals. And we'll talk to someone who's trying to turn the tide of gun violence, Freddie Barton, Executive Director of Safe and Sound Hillsborough County. First, let's listen to Stephanie's reporting that highlights how advocates for criminal justice reform are working to steer young people away from violence despite limited resources. Freddie Barton is slammed. He helps kids who get arrested in the Tampa area stay out of more trouble, and it's often a 24-7 job. Remain seated, come to order, court is now in session. Every morning, even Christmas, Barton's in court. He's looking for kids to join diversion programs he runs as executive director of the nonprofit Safe and Sound Hillsborough. One focuses on teens arrested on gun charges. The goal is to keep them from committing violent crimes. But then also pairing them up with a mentor or a guide that's going to follow them and see what else they need, you know, in order to not just not reoffend, but also be better and productive. The Youth Gun Offender Program involves six months of court-ordered education and support services, plus another six of monitoring. It launched just over a year ago, as Florida experienced a roughly 40 percent jump in kids getting arrested on weapons charges. Barton says they use about $100,000 in county funds, plus some state funding, to pay for the program. Stakeholders like police officials, judges and prosecutors applaud the program as an effective alternative to jailing kids. Here's Irene Maslanik with the Hillsborough State Attorney's Office. We have a huge outbreak of kids possessing guns, and we wanted to do something to respond to that, and something that's proactive and helps them rehabilitate, which is the whole point of juvenile justice, right? A lot goes into running these initiatives. Barton and his colleague Thaddeus Wright teach teens anger management and other life skills. They spend hours coordinating with parents and community partners. To make it easier for kids to participate, they give them rides to and from the program and free meals. Barton says interns and volunteers help, but the bulk of the work falls on them. You're talking about case management, you're talking about navigating the judicial process, you're talking about feeding them, so it takes quite a bit of resources. And then there are the unofficial duties. One morning, Wright was attending court via Zoom when he got a phone call. Hey, what's going on, bro? A teen they're working with was in a tough spot. He'd recently been arrested stealing a gun from an unlocked car. On this day, he showed up to his high school but wasn't allowed on campus because of his charge. His mom couldn't get off work to pick him up. 
So he called Wright and asked to come to the center where they work. They find comfort in coming here. They know that we have their best interests at heart. Wright Ubered him to the center and gave him some advice. He didn't have to do this. But Wright says many of the guys they work with don't have a lot of support. Their families may be struggling financially, and even parents who want to be involved often need help themselves. This will go on all day, and, and that's kind of why we need help. It's never ending. And help is coming. Safe and Sound is receiving some state and federal grants to hire mentors and assist families who need extra support. The money will also fund research into how well the program works. It comes out to more than a million dollars over the next few years. Another donation recently paid for vans to take kids to and from the program. Barton and Wright had been using their own cars before. But they barely had time to celebrate before tragedy brought national attention to gun violence in Tampa. Breaking story that we are following out of central Florida at this time. Celebrations in Tampa turned deadly after an argument led to gunfire. A man is now charged with second degree murder in the shooting that killed two people and injured 16 others. The shooting happened just before Halloween after a fight broke out between young people on the streets of Ybor City, a popular nightlife area. A 22-year-old and 14-year-old face murder charges. One victim was 20, the other also 14. He was armed too. Barton helped organize a vigil for the victims. When we hear that there's a tragic loss of life, especially 14 years of age, no matter what the circumstance, you know, it, it really takes a wind out of our sails. He says some of the kids in his program knew the boy who died. He wishes they had a licensed therapist on the team, better suited to address moments of trauma like this. Just two weeks after the Ebor shooting, another teen was killed in Tampa. We need to get to our kids, we need to get to our parents, we need to bring law enforcement and all of our community agencies together. If we don't continue to keep doing that and let up off the gas, we're gonna see more and more of these events happen. Barton says he knows Safe and Sound faces an uphill battle when it comes to curbing community violence, but they're determined to keep at it. Stephanie Colombini reporting there for Health News Florida. Well, Stephanie joins us in studio now. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And also joined by Freddie Barton, Executive Director of Safe and Sound Hillsborough. Freddie, thank you. Thank you. Freddie, we just heard about the work that you're doing with Safe and Sound Hillsborough. Uh, what got you involved in this? So uh, Safe and Sound Hillsborough was formed in the aftermath of the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut at Sandy Hook Elementary. And after that happened, it wasn't this national wake-up call, right? We knew that gun violence was already prevalent in the United States and we needed to address it. But when we saw that tragic loss of life with young children, we knew that something needed to happen. So a county commissioner by the name of Kevin Beckner at that time wanted to pull together a think tank of individuals from different sectors to address how do we prevent senseless gun violence? How do we prevent community violence from occurring here in Hillsborough County? And from that, that collaborative Safe and Sound Hillsborough was formed to really address two main things. One, that youth feel safe in their community. And two, that people feel connected to one another, utilizing a public health approach to reduce and prevent violence. Over the last couple of years, we've been thrust into this unfortunate situation of preventing youth gun violence. Startling statistics that we talk about, in 2022, we had over 300 shootings, fatal and non-fatal, in the city of Tampa and parts of Hillsborough County. Those numbers double what we saw in 2021. And in the first three months of 2023, we were already on track to beat those numbers. We see that some of the numbers are starting to go down, but so are the ages of the kids who are getting involved. We're hearing 13, 12, 11 
14 years of age, getting their hands on guns and committing some of these offenses. So we've been adamantly and vehemently working in the community to, one, get ahead of this problem, working with those kids who have yet to get in trouble, but also knowing that we have to work with these kids who are in our systems to prevent them from getting even further in the system. So you've been at this for more than a decade now. Yeah, so I've been in community work for over 15 years. I've been the director of Safe and Sound Hillsboro since 2016. So seven years that we've been running in. We started our evening reporting center at the tail end of 2021 going into 2022. We started our youth gun offender program earlier this year in 2023. We've already started seeing some good results. When we see what's happening right now, we hear the loss of life and we hear the kids are still getting arrested on these gun charges. It, it is daunting. It, it's it's horrific to us and it, it takes the wind out of our sails. But we also know that we've got kids last year out of our center who graduated high school who are in college. Some of them are in the military. Some of them are, are working. Some of them are still trying to find out what they want to do in life, right, like most adults. But we know that they're still moving forward and they're staying away from some of these things that cause them to get to our center in the first place. Right. And to your point, I mean, if you're still trying to figure things out, if you're 13, 14 and something like this happens, and we're going to hear a little bit from one of the kids who's you know caught with a gun uh, later in this conversation, but that can be a major kind of roadblock in your life path, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talk to these kids and we let them know, look, you, I know that what you did was a, that was a huge mistake, but also it was a huge adult mistake. Thankfully, we were able to work it out with our state attorney's office, our Department of Juvenile Justice and the Public Defender's Office and law enforcement so that you don't get put into an adult situation because of this. But understand that life is not about the choices. It's about the consequences of those choices. So, yes, you can change your life around. You can turn your stars but it's not going to be easy. So you have to keep at it. You have to stay at it. You have to stay committed to moving forward. And Thaddeus and I and the staff and the volunteers that come through, we always reiterate that scenario with them that it's going to be hard, but you can make it. Stephanie, a lot of us are thinking about gun violence because of the Halloween Eve shooting in Ebor City, but you, you started your reporting on this series well before then. What made you want to dig deeper into this? I think it came together really over years of reporting in the sense that as a healthcare reporter, you know, one thing I've always been interested in and is exploring the ways different aspects of your life and our society, whether it's your access to housing, education, healthcare, how that all impacts health. And so I think it's been long overdue. We've talked about in the newsroom that we focus on gun violence as a public health issue, not just crime and law and order that, you know, for kids or adults who get involved in this, there's so many underlying factors that can contribute to that one moment when they pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And as I've done reporting on other stories in the community, whether it's about mental health or the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, I would hear from sources that gun violence was a problem in neighborhoods like East Tampa or parts of St. Petersburg or Newtown, Sarasota. I mean, all over in our region. And so I think it, it was just about time and getting connected with Freddie really just took things off and seeing the work that they're doing. I want to ask about some of the stories and statistics around gun violence, Stephanie. Uh, here's a little bit of sound. Let's listen to Dr. Chris Snyder. He leads the trauma program at All Children's. You can imagine if you get like a toddler that, you know, finds grandpa's handgun and, and if they shoot themselves. We, we had a case where a toddler was shot through the heart just a few months ago. No amount of special equipment or training is going to save the patient at that point. I mean, Freddie was talking about the 
the startling statistics like the increase in, in gun violence. Um, what can you tell us? What, what have you uncovered in your reporting about the trends for gun violence in children and what doctors are seeing and how they respond to these cases? Yeah, so Dr. Snyder was referring to just a, a tragic accident that happened, uh, you know, that was um, what happens when parents or grandparents, whoever, are, are negligent about the guns that they own. That can get in the wrong hands, and then you have a toddler shooting themselves by accident. The Gun Violence Archive tracks shootings nationally, and 2023 is poised to be like a mm-hmm. 50% increase in how many teens, that was the rates I was looking at, but, you know, children in general who have died from shootings compared to, say, five, six years ago. So we have seen deaths rise nationally and in Florida. Now, most of the time it is going to involve assault or self-harm, you know, accidents. You know, they're a smaller portion, but still uh, prevalent in Florida. But actually, research does show about 80% of kids who get shot do end up surviving. The challenge there, though, is that we're seeing an increase in gun injuries. And I, you know, I've been tracking Florida Department of Health data and the amount of kids that have gotten injured by guns and hospitalized for non-fatal wounds has gone up about 40%. Um, really, 2020 is when we saw things explode. You know, that's in terms of injuries. That's in terms of arrests. The past few years is when we've really seen that shift. Mm -hmm. And so even with that increase in injuries, there's kids out there who are having life-altering consequences from guns. Freddie, why the surge in gun violence and kids especially getting their hands on guns and injuries and getting caught up in the legal system as well? We talk to the kids when they come in and we ask them that very question. So, Where'd you get the gun from and why did you pick up a gun in the first place? And the simplest answer is always the best answer, right? And their response is, I had to get a gun because everybody else has them. I feel everybody else has one, so I have to get one. And sitting back as an adult who understands growing up as a kid or whatnot, it's hard for me to understand that concept and feel that I don't see what you mean when you say that everybody has a gun. And they they tell us, no, you need to understand all these kids have guns. So if I don't have one, I'm going to be dead. So that's why I have to get it. And then what's even worse than that is over 80% of guns that are recovered from these juveniles are coming from still in 2023 unlocked vehicles. I don't mean that it's in a glove box and that's unlocked and the car is locked. I mean, it's on the seat. It's under the seat. It's in the glove box unlocked in an unlocked car. And it's happening so much that kids are now talking to one another via social media targeting certain neighborhoods on certain days and they'll all link up together and then they go to one neighborhood and all they do is they pull door handles. And one kid that we've worked with said, I'm, I can get at least eight guns in one night. And it's not what the scariest part about that is it's not the 16, the 17, the 18 or 20 year olds that are actually getting the guns. They're sending the younger kids, the 12, the 13, the 14 year olds out to get these guns because they think that if they get caught with a gun, their penalties are lower and they can probably get away with it versus me. So it's becoming more organized and it's only because we have people who have yet to understand that they have a role and responsibility in keeping these guns out of the hands of not just kids, but those who should not have their hands on firearms in the first place. And so somebody whose gun is stolen from an unlocked car, they would potentially just go buy another one? You would be surprised. If you have conversations with our, our state attorney and our, and our members of law enforcement, our sheriff, our chief of police, they'll tell you, it's daunting to think about it. We have frequent flyers. We have people 
who get their guns stolen from their car. They're a victim. But six months, a year later, it happens again. That doesn't make sense to any person of sound mind. You know, of course, they say that I have a right to have my firearm anywhere that I want. It's mine. I bought it. It's just like if I had my cell phone or my wallet. I understand, but your wallet can't hurt someone. A firearm can. And so we're trying to do what we can with our community partners to educate the community that kids are now aggressively going into neighborhoods, opening up door handles because they want to get their hands on guns. One of the kids told me something very prominent, and he said, you need to understand that you're not going to stop the demand. The demand for guns, whether it's kids or adults, is always going to be there. So you have to go after the supply. And until that happens, until people start locking their cars, until people start putting their firearms in their house, until they stop letting it be so easy for us to get them, we're going to continue to get our hands on them. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking with Freddie Barton, Executive Director of Safe and Sound Hillsborough, about his organization's efforts to steer young people away from gun violence. And Stephanie Colombini with Health News Florida about his series Growing Up With Guns, examining the impact of youth gun violence when we come back. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about youth gun violence with Health News Florida's Stephanie Colombini and Freddie Barton, Executive Director of Safe and Sound Hillsborough. A recent shooting just before Halloween in Ybor City brought national attention to gun violence and how it affects young people. A growing number of children in Florida are getting arrested on gun charges, but some groups are working to help those children turn their lives around. Let's take a listen to Stephanie's reporting on Hillsborough County's Youth Gun Offender Program, which Freddie Barton runs. Damari was scared. Crime is high in his East Tampa neighborhood, and he says men hanging by the bus stop would harass him on his way to and from high school. The 16-year-old says he started carrying a loaded handgun with him everywhere he went. Because I knew, like, if nobody else could protect me, then I could protect myself. If nobody else was going to be there at that time, then I would have my back. Then Damari got caught with the gun at school in January. Police say he hadn't threatened anyone with it. They arrested him and charged him with felony possession of a firearm on school property. Damari spent 21 days in a juvenile detention center and couldn't go back to finish his sophomore year. I mean, it was scary. I didn't know what was going to happen in my life because, you know, I was in, like, college classes and advanced classes and everything. We're not using Damari's last name because he fears that would harm future job opportunities. Had he shot someone, the state attorney might have transferred him to adult court, where punishment is much worse. But instead, the prosecutor, public defender, and judge agreed. They'd offer him a second chance. First, he had to complete a program. Eight teenage boys shuffle into a rec center in Tampa one evening after wrapping up a game of basketball outside. They plop down at desks and begrudgingly put away their cell phones at their supervisor's request. I know every couple of Thursdays we have some gentlemen in to come give us some guidance and some wisdom. This is the Youth Gun Offender Program. Teens like Damari are court-ordered to be here. A group called Safe and Sound Hillsborough used about $100,000 in county funds to launch the program a year ago. Executive Director Freddie Barton says it's about preventing gun violence. Unfortunately, we saw a sharp increase in the number of kids being arrested on gun-related crimes. Americans have been buying guns at record high levels, and that's increased the risk of weapons falling into the wrong hands. 
More than 1,700 kids were arrested in Florida for possessing a weapon or firearm in the year leading up to July 2022. The Department of Juvenile Justice reports that's a 44 percent increase from the year before. Black males were disproportionately affected. Some kids, like Damari, take guns from home. Others steal them from unlocked cars. Barton's program mostly focuses on kids who've been carrying guns but haven't hurt anybody with them yet. We hear the people say, oh, you know, these are just bad kids. No, these kids are making bad decisions. And everyone can have an opportunity to change their stars and change their life. And so that's why we're trying to work with them as early as possible. And you can listen to the rest of that report from Health News Florida's Stephanie Colombini on WSF.org. It's part of a series airing all this week, Growing Up With Guns. Uh, Stephanie, Damari spent 21 days in juvenile detention, but this has been a a life-altering experience for him. And he was only caught with a gun. He didn't injure anyone or hurt anyone with it. How has this affected him and his family? It was a really stressful time, of course, especially when he was separated from his family in the detention center. And, you know, his mom told me just... It was hard navigating the court system and knowing what to do next and when am I going to see my son again and what is going to happen to him. And so that was a really tough time. Thankfully, the program was really helpful. He responded well and she saw a transformation. He'd come home talking about community service he enjoyed doing or career Mm -hmm. advice he'd received from mentors. And so that definitely helped. And fortunately, Damari completed the program recently, and he has been working on getting his GED because he got kicked out of high school. You know, when you get caught with a gun, you probably can't go back to that school. And so that's just one example of how even though he was given this second chance, he's still going to have a challenging road ahead because he's not going to get to graduate from high school like everybody else. He is making great strides to getting his GED. So that's fantastic news. He wants to go pursue a trade. So he's really trying to make the best of his second chance. But like Freddie had said earlier, once those consequences happen, you really have to work hard at it to make sure that you don't fall back on the wrong path or that things hamper your success. So it's going to be a tough road for the family. Mm-hmm. Freddie, the youth gun violence prevention program that you've started has only been around for, what, a year now? Yeah, our youth gun offender program is the latest addition to our evening reporting center. Mm -hmm. The ERC was started as an alternative to confinement for juvenile offenders. Instead of them being confined for up to 21 days, we provide supervision to them in the afternoon and evening hours, and that allows them to continue to go to school if they're in school or go to work or go to church during the daytime, and we have them in the afternoon and evenings. We first started with our supervised release program, which is 21 days. Then we knew that we needed to keep them longer while they're on probation. And once we started seeing this stark increase in juvenile arrests with guns, we knew that we had to create a program specifically designed to address those youth. And so we built that out and we started that earlier this year. Mm -hmm. But it just sounds like you would have to be committed to those kids beyond that year or whatever it is. Yeah, we to, to make so sure. we yeah, they're in our program when they're court ordered to the what we call it YGOP Youth Gun Offender Program for six months. And then after they finish, we still monitor them for an additional six months. The challenge is what happens after we do the monitoring? So we have been calling on the community to get more volunteers and mentors that are gonna stay in for the long haul. And we stay in contact with the kids. But unfortunately, we have a revolving door. We have kids coming in every single day. So it's impossible for us to stay connected to all the different kids that come through the center. So we are always asking for adults and volunteers to come in and mentor and stay connected with these kids. You're trying to divert 
these kids before something terrible happens, before a tragedy strikes. But what about kids who have shot and injured or killed somebody? What happens to them? The majority of those kids, once that bullet leaves that chamber, you're in a whole different realm. If that bullet hits someone, you're typically going to see yourself in an adult situation. We have been able to work with kids who have fired guns after they go through the court process it's been made a condition of their probation if they're still able to be treated as a juvenile. So we are working with them. What we're also doing is when we see a kid who gets their hand on a gun or commits some of these offenses, we try to find out if they have younger siblings or older siblings who haven't gotten in trouble so that we work with them to prevent them as well. I've got to get you know kudos to our public defender for helping to build some of these longer-term programs, which led to the formation of our Youth Gun Offender Program. What's unique about our program is that we do have the buy-in from the state attorney, from the sheriff's office, from law enforcement, from our public defender and our, our public agencies, because everyone now has no choice but to accept we have a problem. Hmm. We have an issue. And it's it's not a Tampa issue. It's not a Hillsborough County. It's not a Florida. It's a national issue. Across the nation, kids are getting their hands on guns, and everyone has to band together to address this issue. Stephanie, one of the stories in your Growing Up With Guns series focuses on the families of victims, parents of children, for example, who were shot and killed. Let's just take a listen to Johnny Johnson. His son, Jake Wan, was 17 when he died seven years ago. We've been sentenced to life without our loved ones, just like them. So that makes us always available, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. I just talked to a family the other night. At 12 a.m., I was lying in my bed, and I got a phone call. My mother was having a breakdown. What are some of the challenges, Stephanie, that people like Johnny face after a family member is killed in a shooting? Just immense grief. It's such a traumatic experience. Losing a child or any loved one is always horrible. But when you factor in crime and violence, it's an added layer of trauma. A lot of these families have to go through and relive kind of what happened to their child as they're talking with law enforcement and prosecutors. So you're hearing potentially graphic details of assault. These proceedings can take years and you might not even get some sense of closure if they don't find the killer. So that can be really hard. There's financial challenges. You're burying your child. You're still having to keep up with the rent or your mortgage or all the other bills in life as you're dealing with this traumatic experience and feeling like, does anybody care what happened to my kid? They go through a lot. And that's why this group Rise Up for Peace kind of banded parents together who had lost their children. And they said, we need to help families because we have lived that experience. We can relate to them maybe more than somebody else who hasn't gone through that can, even if they have the best intentions to offer emotional support. The fact that these families have similar experiences helps them support each other. And it comes through in your reporting, like some of them say, you know, there wasn't that support when they lost their child. They want to do something to help other families. And they realize there has been a gap in that kind of network to to help folks who are going through this. Yeah. And I think there's been grief counseling. There's been mental health services out there in the community, but they're not always easy to navigate. And if you've just lost your child and maybe you've never been in a position where you've thought about, say, going to see a a traditional therapist, you might not feel comfortable with that. You might not have health insurance to pay for that. And so that's a barrier that a lot of families might have dealt with even though maybe there were resources, you don't know how to take advantage of them. And that's where Rise Up for Peace can really come in and offer that help. Freddie, something that comes through in a lot of Stephanie's reporting 
folks talking about their frustration over the outsized attention that some shootings get while others don't get so much attention. What's your perspective on that? We see that when we see these incidents of mass shootings, right, or attempts of mass shootings in certain areas, certainly that gets a lot of attention, but it's the day-to-day violence that occurs that sometimes doesn't get highlighted. Well, we see that because we have the kids that are coming through the center. And unfortunately, Thaddeus and I, we're in court every day. And we'll hear that here's a kid that got arrested because they had a hand on a gun and they were shooting. It wasn't in the news. We didn't know about that. And the only reason we know is because they went through the court system. Certainly, we don't want to just put out all the negative news and attention, but we do need to make sure that people know in some of our communities, this is happening. It's wrecking our communities, and we need to shine a light on it so that we can put more resources where they're needed. In some of our communities of color, we see the reasons why these kids are getting their hands on guns. There's sometimes lack of economic opportunity. There's lack of adequate housing. Our kids come to our center and we provide them hot meals and because they're in the evenings. We hear from them that that dinner that we provide to them is the first time that they eat for the day and might be the only time that they eat until they come back the next day. And it's not a dig against their parents because their parents are trying to do the best they can But it's just the situation that they live in. And we're not talking about just one community in Hillsborough County. We have kids from all over Hillsborough County. So we need to let everyone know that gun violence is occurring all throughout our county. It's not just isolated in one area. But no matter where you come from, no matter where these kids are coming from, they all have the same issues. The same issues of, I don't feel safe. I think all these other kids have guns, so I need to have one. I don't have a strong male presence or role model in my life, and I don't feel that people are taking me seriously or taking my concerns seriously. And so we have to shine a light on that in our communities to let people know this is a real issue. You bring up a point that I meant to ask you before. Is it all young men, males you're dealing with? Are there any any girls getting tangled up on this? So over the last two years since we started our Evening Reporting Center, it's only been focused on males. We were fortunate enough to receive a grant that we're working with in partnership with the Tampa Police Department, where we are going to be working with youth that are going to be involved in gun violence or around gun violence in the city of Tampa specifically. And that will also include females, right? So we're going to be bringing on staff. A lot of our programming has traditionally been uh, gender-based. And so we focused mainly on males. But now we, we know that we have to expand it because we're now seeing cases where our young ladies are getting their hands on guns or our young ladies are holding the guns that they see because their male friends or, or boyfriends are getting access to them. You mentioned some grants and Stephanie talked about those grants in her reporting as well. So there is money that's available. You, you are getting funded for this, but you also talk about the need for more staff, counselors. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Hillsborough County Board of County Commissioners. Two years ago, they saw that there was a need to increase programming for our, our youth offenders. And so they started out with an initial funding. They funded our youth gun offender component to start up as well as our 90-day program. And from that, they've continued to assist us in increasing some of that funding. We have funding from our Florida Department of Juvenile Justice. We have a federal grant that we're working on with Tampa Police Department. We've got a grant with USF that we're working on. We've got a grant with the Department of Children and Family Services. So that's helping us to get the staff. When you think about Hillsborough County, though, Hillsborough County is over 1,000 square miles. And so it's hard to think that we can have a real big impact unless we really have a deep and high level of investment into these kids when we're seeing that kids are coming in at a rapid pace and increased numbers, 
our center, we can typically have a max of 15 kids per day. Unfortunately, right now, we have over 52 kids in our program right now at different stages, whether they're just coming into the system or they're on probation or they're part of our youth gun offender program. We're starting to see those numbers increase. We also know that we need an increase in level of service. We do need a traumatologist to come in and address what happens, you know, and address the mental needs of our kids. We provide mental health first aid trainings for free throughout Hillsborough County, and that's an awesome initiative that we do because we have to thrust mental wellness at the forefront of every conversation, but we also need to address trauma. We also need to address long-rooted issues that need to be resolved. And so having a, a child psychologist or having a family practitioner that, or family counselor that can come in and provide those services, that takes a lot of funding to do, especially when you're talking about a kid who got their hand on the gun because they wanted to retaliate because they lost a sibling or a loved one. You're talking about preventing them from going down the system, but also addressing the trauma that caused them to get in that system in the first place. So we need a lot more help than what we're getting right now. We're thankful to every opportunity that we have, and we're doing great work. But we know if we're really going to get ahead of this problem, we've got to add a lot more clinical services to the forefront. This isn't a short-term investment. Do you feel like state lawmakers are listening and putting enough money into programs like yours? I think it's slowly coming. Unfortunately, it's hard to fight. And I do want to preface this with saying we're not anti-gun. We're not anti-firearms or ammunition or or policies. Even after everything you've seen? Even after we've seen. We can't be hypocrites. We want our kids to go off and have productive lives, and we promote going to the military. The first thing they're going to do after basic training is get firearm training. So we can't be hypocrites and say, don't touch a gun, but go to the military, right? We're not against firearms. We're not against ammunition. We are against the decisions that people make to pick up firearms in response to a temporary situation an incident of anger. We hear the adage that the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop until age 25. I know 45-year-olds who don't have theirs fully developed, right? And so we know that our kids can't process certain things. So we are against them picking up firearms because they don't know what it means to pick that up. When that bullet leaves the chamber, it doesn't have a name on it. It will hit whatever it hits. Our kids don't understand that. And if you can imagine we, we see this 14-year-old who, unfortunately, is now being charged as an adult because of what happened in Ybor City. He will wear that for the rest of his life, not just in the system and in the community, but in his heart. When you cause a loss of life or a damage to someone, I don't care who you are, that's going to scar you. It's going to shape who you're going to become years later. So we're hoping that our lawmakers are looking at this to do, if nothing more, to make sure that we look at how do you address securing of firearms and talk to people about making sure that they don't allow it to be so easy for kids or abusers or anyone who should not have access to firearms to do so. Stephanie, where does your reporting go on this issue next? Are there some stories that you see yourself returning to down the track? Gosh, there's so many different angles you could look at. I mean, definitely would love to stay on top of the program. And we are seeing some additional investment coming in. What's that going to look like a year from now? What are we going to see in terms of results in our community? That's definitely something I'd like to follow. Freddie just brought up that 14-year-old, and it made me think about another thing I'd like to pursue is You often don't hear about the trauma and what maybe supports are or are not available for the families of the kids who commit the offense. That's an incredibly traumatic experience for parents. 
sometimes people immediately say, what happened there? What were the parents doing that this kid did that? And not all the time was it the parents' fault. They could be doing the best they can. And so what help do they have? So that's something I would like to look into. And then, yeah, you know, just seeing what more support the folks I've talked to in this series, Rise Up for Peace and Victims' Families, what are they needing in the future? I'd like to follow up with them. Yeah, to add to that, one of the things that we do in our program it. We provide experiential learning. So we take our kids to trauma centers. We take them to funeral homes. We sit them down in front of individuals from Rise Up for Peace who've lost family members. They also sit down in front of individuals who have gone to prison and have spent anywhere from 25 to 35 years in prison because of murder, aggravated assault, manslaughter, these charges. Some of them who committed these offenses before they were 18, 16, 17 years of age and had to spend 30, 35 years in prison. And one of the things that the gentlemen say is if and when you commit one of these offenses, you pick up a gun and you shoot it or you get in trouble, and now you have to go and become incarcerated, you are not the only person who gets that prison sentence. You get it and your mother gets it or your father gets it or your grandmother, whoever's taking care of you. They spend every day that you're in prison in prison themselves. And so what we do is we try to get these kids to answer that question. Do you want to lock your parents up because of your decision? When we ask that question, they're like, no, no, it's my decision. I made this. But you're removing yourself from them and they love you. And so it's all about experiential learning to try to change the mind, their attitude and behavior, hopefully for the long haul. You must form some pretty strong bonds with the kids you help too. So if there are cases where some of them can't stay on track and go off the rails, I mean, what's that like? How, how do you deal with that? So we'll get a phone call in the middle of the night or we'll get a phone call early in the morning and something as simple as, hey, can I just come to the center? I know I'm out the program, but if I don't get to the center, I think I'm going to get in trouble. We'll get that kid. We'll bring him over there. We get kids who say, hey, can you take me to court? I've got court today and my mom can't get me there. We've got to do it. Unfortunately, because we have so many kids, once we develop that real strong bond, we have 10 more that we have to deal with, right, and we're working with. That's why, again, we're begging the community, if you want to make an impact, we have a captive audience literally every day that you can work with these young men and now young women in the future. We develop these bonds so much that their parents will call and say, you know what, he's off the rails, I can't do anything with him, but... I know if we call Mr. Freddie, we call Mr. Thaddeus, you'll sit down or you'll you'll do whatever because you don't want to disappoint them because we are pouring a lot into them. It's a lot of hard work. It's emotionally draining. It's taxing on you. But we also know that we're getting some good things out of it. For us to get invited to house parties because this kid graduated last year from high school and we're the only one who's not in the family who's at this thing, that's huge, right? And we see this and we're getting pictures of kids who are now having jobs and they're like, look at me right now. Certainly, we know we've got a lot of work to do and things like this that happen in Ebor. It, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But we also know that we have to keep going because only if we stay committed for the long haul will we truly make an impact. We've been talking with Health News Florida's Stephanie Colombini about her series on youth gun violence, Growing Up With Guns. Find more on our website, WUSF.org. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. And Freddie Barton, Executive Director of Safe and Sound Hillsborough. Freddie works to turn the tide of youth gun violence with his Youth Gun Offender Program. Thanks for joining us as well. Thank you, and I'd like to thank Stephanie and WUSF. That's our show for this week. Our producer is Steve Newborn, production assistance from Mary Shedden, engineering support for this episode from Dave Anderson. Find Florida Matters online at WUSF.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.